Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the weekly Wednesday for the Financial Freedom Newsletter, where every week, every Wednesday, we delve into something inspirational, motivational, something excerpt taken from the Financial Freedom Weekly Newsletter. Wherever you are, if you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, Google, be sure to click the like, subscribe, share, comment. Without ado, let's get into the show. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome, everybody, to this week's podcast episode for the Financial Freedom Podcast. And I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu. And as you know, I talk about the four different types of freedom, time, financial, location, health, freedom. And I'm always scouring the globe, interviewing entrepreneurs, people doing things on the cutting edge, impacting the world. So today we have a very interesting guest, Dave, and he's the host of the Business of Tech podcast. So I'm really interested in talking with entrepreneurs, tech entrepreneurs, this whole area of entrepreneurship. So Dave, welcome. Thanks for having me, Chris. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really excited. And um, we connected through Podmatch and tell us more about your story, your journey and what your company does. Well, you know, when I was little, I grew up and <laughs> you know, I, I kind of always start this story from, uh, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be in technology since I was little uh, and I have a degree in computer science. Uh, so I you know, graduated with a bachelor's in computer science. And if you'd asked college Dave while I was still a student, he would have said, oh, yeah, I'll be building products and writing code for my career. Then that was where I started. I started as a developer, a QA kind of person, did consultancy. And wrote a couple of startups up and down in the late 90s. And, and when the last one went down in flames, uh, I realized that it was the owners and the salespeople that still had jobs and they laid off the tech people. Mm. And I quipped to myself, I said, well, I can run a company into the ground just as much as those numb nuts. Uh, may, maybe I should give this a whirl. Uh, and I launched, so I launched my first company, uh, which was an IT services firm. We would now actually call that kind of a managed services firm. My idea was I'm going to help small companies with their technology, and we'll take over that need and we'll work on an ongoing basis. Uh, I ran that organization for about 10 years, grew it from just myself to an organization about 1.4 million, about 14 staff at its largest. And I was like super active in the IT community. Uh, I wrote a book. I helped, uh, I was a Microsoft MVP. I helped with peer groups. We launched those into Europe. Like I was a CompTIA trainer. I did, I did everything. I signed up for everything. Uh, constant speaker on the circuit and such. I had the opportunity to sell that business, and I went and worked for a couple of software vendors, actually, and helped companies like I had grow. That was my my mission, is, is that if we helped them grow, they'd buy more software. Sold the first one to a company called AVG. We sold the second one to a company everyone now knows, SolarWinds, uh, infamous for other reasons. Uh, <laughs> I left about a week or two before they were hacked. And then my sort of third chapter of this was that I said I wanted to be a little disruptive on the content side. 
And I said, I knew I could could do take all of this knowledge and I could do something in podcasting and video. And here I am three and a half years later. And I have a, you know, I have a media company that that produces our flagship podcast, The Business of Tech. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. You know, entrepreneurship is all about pivoting and redefining and really being agile, nimble. And um, it's uh, it's really great to see, you know, fellow um, entrepreneur. Tell us about, um, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, uh, IT, state of the market regulation, and we'll go into kind of hybrid work. But um, tell us, uh, you know, the current state of the um, IT services market. I mean, it's it, it's such a crazy space. So I, I love this space. About 87% of it is made up of companies that do less than $10 million in revenue, uh, which should be familiar for anybody who's who's in entrepreneurship, which are generally small businesses, right? Like, you know, when, when I when I think about this, I actually use like doctors, lawyers as examples of the types of customers that we pursue. The number I always like to throw out is, is for every dollar of Microsoft revenue, there's $8 associated with their partners. And a good portion of that is the services, like helping you get it installed, <laughs> knowing sure you know how to use it, like <laughs> making sure that you're effective with it, making sure it's secured, making sure it's backed up, like all that stuff what goes into an IT services business. That's the bit that that I like to think of. It's a healthy market. It's not necessarily an explosive growth market. This is a market that we that likes, you know, between sort of 10 and 20% growth each year. Most of these businesses do that kind of, kind of stuff, but it's solid services revenue and very reliable. In fact, you know, businesses like this tend to get created in downtimes and they flourish even more in the uptimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell us, um, yes, I love the IT market because um, it's very scalable and, um, you know, you're talking about technology and what you're talking about is a service sector. Um, how about, you know, products, business solutions, software, uh, all of that? Yeah, I mean, it's all the associated stuff that goes along with that, right? And and I've been doing this long enough that that you know when we talked about it early, we always meant the actual hardware itself, like the installing of the computers. Now, when we talk about the the core technologies, we're generally talking about like your business process software, the the line of business application that runs your business, the productivity suite, like that's the stuff where the real value is right now. And most of the 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 providers that I talk to that are really forward thinking are spending their time there. So it's it's made up of hardware and software and solutions that all come together to solve a particular customer's problem. Yeah. Uh, speak to a little bit about um uh regulation and in technology. Well, it's it's kind of the wild west and I have to laugh like speaking to a doctor, right? And <laughs> and I can actually make this a little simple. So you go through a lot of training to become a doctor. And then there's a formal process that actually recognizes at a state and regulatory level that you have those skills. Well, over on the technology side, we don't have that. Uh, any of any of us can can hang out our shingle and declare that we are an expert in this with and, and allow you know get your hands all the way into everybody's technology without any kind of check on that. The way that regulation is done in the space tends to be around anything that has to do with data management. So like things like PCI compliance or HIPAA compliance or some of these, these laws that are very much focused on the data, but not around the people. Now that's a, a US phenomenon. It looks a little different in Europe, you know, in particular the Europe with their GDPR and privacy laws. But here in the States, it's it's much more focused on the way that the data is managed, not the people that are doing it. 
And so oftentimes you have to be looking at the kinds of data that you're collecting and then what applicable laws applied to it based on how you're using that data. So for example, you know, I'll make it super simple, right? I could take information about a particular human and if it's used in a medical context, that's a different set of laws than if it's used in a financial context. But it actually could be the same piece of data. It just has two different sets of rules applied to it based on the context of how it's being used. Yeah. And um, how about, you know, for example, security, you know, security, privacy, I know you touched a little bit upon, but uh, how about especially, you know, hacking and um, data breaches, all of that? It's a huge space, right? And and so we all like to talk about it because oftentimes the, the actual hacking and the security threat that's out there is very much underestimated by most business owners. I like to, to sort of simplify it and say, you need to really think of it like a digital mafia. These are or, This is organized crime <laughs> acting in countries where they have protection, where it is actually a good job. They punch in, they punch out, they run like corporations, they go to a job, it just happens to be illegal here, but they operate in places where it is, is they look the other way. Um, these are really sophisticated organizations. It's kind of funny to think about. They do press releases. They release financial statements. They have sales organizations. They have HR and benefits. You can take time off. Like they, they actually work in shifts. Like it's it's a it's an actual organized crime. And what they're trying to do is is they are systematically looking to steal data from you and either and find a way to have you pay to get it back. They started with will encrypt it and ransom it back to you. Now they've moved on to we will extort you and threaten to give this data out to others if we take it. Mm. Um, and so, you know, that that's that's the cyber space. And they know that the number one way they're going to be able to get in is social engineering. They're going to be able to do something to the humans that work at your business to make you do something that will get them access. Mm. And, uh, you know, everything is, you know, we'll talk about, you know, the big the mafia that you talked about in, um, you know, ethics and in uh, its effect on small tech companies. But um, real quick is, um, you know, that's a that's the, the core thesis of Web3 is kind of everybody owns their identity and their data. I'm not sure if you can speak to that or you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, it's kind of a lot of hype. And <laughs> this is, a. Th by the way, we've been talking about the ownership of data and the way that it's done for, for a very long time. I, I believe that there are certain core technologies and the stuff that we talk about in Web3, like the the idea of the blockchain, mm -hmm. but I'm not one of these people that come in and say like, oh yeah, this is going to solve everything. Uh, we've been having these conversations for 20 or 30 years. What's happening now is the stakes are just higher. You know, we, we've gotten to a, a world where everyone is much more technology enabled than they've ever been. They have access to much more to powerful technologies, and it is much easier for the criminal organizations to exploit that. That's really the, the, the change in the landscape, more than this being a pure raw change in problem. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's good to get different perspectives because, you know, I talked to a lot of creators, they say, you know, Web3, especially, for example, they can um, like 
non-fungible tokens they can have direct access and um it's interesting to get different takes um yeah i mean it's it's funny because i'm way more interested in what's going on with with ai right now hmm. than i am with some of the crypto and the web3 stuff like it, it's yeah. just i mean that kind of proved itself that it didn't actually have a problem that it was trying to solve like like the, the fact that it was all fad and flashed and stuff it's uh, yeah that i've seen this hype cycle before over and over and over again in my career, I've seen this hype cycle before and I called it like it's it's if I can't immediately explain to you where the actual use is in a regular human's life. Yeah, that's not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> but the moment that I actually can see that actual regular humans can use this in an, in an everyday context and it actually gets adopted, then I know we're on to something. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's really early, and you know, um, it's like the wild, wild west. I'm I'm interested in uh, you say talk about the impact of um because you referenced the big tech and mafia, um, the big tech and ethics um and their effect on small technology companies. Yeah, one of one of my thoughts on this is is you know, technology broadly gets a bum rap because of a small number of actors. So so and I'm gonna gonna pick on like it's easy to pick on like big tech, right? Like I could pick on Amazon or Google or or I could pick on Meta. Like, you know, they're they're really easy to pick on because they get all the headlines. But you know, when when we actually break down the bulk of where technology work is done, it's not done in these four companies. You know, as I as I talked about, like for every dollar in Microsoft revenue, there's eight dollars that associated with the partner companies that work with them. That means it's eight times bigger everybody that works with Microsoft, not Microsoft themselves. And, the, and by the way, you know, they're, they're almost the bigger ones. When we talk about Google, that number is a little smaller. It's about $6. And so you know, those are the spaces that are way bigger in terms of what's actually happening in technology than the people that get headlines. You know, we've come through this bit where we actually talk about all of the, you know, for example, the layoffs, right? You hear all, if you open the paper last month, all you would hear about was all the tech layoffs. Well, they kind of just rewound to where they were last summer. If you measure them over the past two to three years, they all grew. They all grew a lot by headcount, like a lot. And from a percentage perspective, they they kind of you know they they only let go you know a smaller percentage. Now, I want to acknowledge that for those individual humans, that's that's a life changing moment, and that is that is an important thing to do. But you know what also happens? We know statistically that most of those people have new and higher paying jobs within three months. So let's not cry for the technology sector, but to these big, big companies, let's actually focus on where most of the work is actually being done. Um, that's quite interesting because you have a lot of um, experience and knowledge. And uh, one, uh, one thing that's been getting headlines is uh, return to work and some companies are forcing employees to come. What's really what's really happening to this? Bad managers only know how to manage one way, and they're trying to force everybody into the office. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of that simple, uh, you know, be, because you can sort of see it. And by the way, they tend to be, uh, you know, rich old white guys. Because they've been doing it one way a very long time. They probably live in a very, very comfortable situation where they don't have to think about child care. Or they don't have to think about family, like other family members. They don't have any instability in their lives. And funny, it's really easy for them to want to just immediately go back to the one thing that they've been doing for, I don't know, 50 years. But anybody who actually 
thinks about managing people understands that the core elements of managing people have less to do with their physical location and more the way you engage them as a human being. Managing mm -hmm. people effectively is a talent. And you learn slightly different versions of those skills when you manage people remotely versus managing them on premise, because it does take a little bit more to read emotions, for example, and to, to have those interactions. But you can still do it. It just takes some concentrated effort. And you have to be, in particular, you have to manage much more by results than you manage by time. Well, managing by time, really easy to do, right? I just count the number of hours and you're in the office and I can loosely get a sense of how productive you are. Managing based on output, that's a harder thing and it requires some process and investment and there's some resistance to that. It's funny how all of these mandates are actually landing more in a real, in a middle ground of, let's find what works for people and make them effective at what they do. But it makes for a really bad headline. So for me, that you know, what what I what I spend a lot of time talking to my listeners and to those that I work with is, is you want to spend some time figuring out the best way to manage your people that's most effective for your goals. You'll use the technology tools to enable that. There are times I'm a big believer that you want to get people together physically. There are also kinds of work that's done best remote, and there's other times where it kind of depends. And you want to build an organization that can be flexible to that and utilize the tools in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I know we're coming to um, kind of the end and um, tell us more just, you know, kind of uh, uh, your thoughts on diverse, diversity, equity, inclusion in tech. Yeah, we're kind of bad at it. You know, it's this is this is traditionally a space that is is overwhelmingly white and male. You know, and, and I look at it kind of from from two perspectives. The first thing is is I I'm kind of a capitalist. Like I like making money and I like building businesses that are effective. And one of the things that I focus a lot about is is the idea of understanding my customers. In order to understand my customers, I need to listen but I also need the ability to understand their experiences. Having a more diverse workforce and more you know, different kinds of voices enabling that means I can communicate as an organization to more kinds of customers and I can relate them. From my perspective, all the data and the obvious logic to it makes sense of if you want to have the broadest possible customer base, having a diverse workforce is good for you. And additionally, it's proven out in the data. <laughs> you can acquire more customers, you get more diverse ideas, you outperform. And then the second bit is, is it's kind of the right thing to do. Treating people <laughs> fairly, equitably, it's the right thing to do. It feels good, builds good organizations. And it's nice when those two things can come together. And so I think an investment in deliberately trying to do that and understanding where you stand is worth doing. And I tend to think it comes from the top. I think it comes from bi management buy-in. So one of the things I do on my show is, is we actually track diversity at the leadership teams in IT organizations to try and measure how many organizations are really investing in this idea to drive that, that diversity into their org. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating discussion, really uh, talking about tech and uh, everything from current state to regulation, technology, uh, ethics. Um, so how can people um, contact you, follow you, reach out to you and check out your podcast? I am easy to find. All the links are at businessof.tech. There's a big blue button to subscribe. You can get, if you like audio podcasts, it's a daily five-minute show where we dive into that. On YouTube, shows come out twice a week. You can get the daily digest in your inbox or the weekly newsletter, depending on how you like to consume it. And of course, all the social links to get in touch with me right there on the website. Again, that's businessof. Yeah. And for all the listeners out there, let's 
thank Dave for coming onto the show, uh, dropping nuggets of wisdom and experience. Uh, he's on Facebook, YouTube, Insta, Twitter, as well as the Business of Tech, as he mentioned. And all of the resources will be in the links and show notes. And thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. It was a pleasure. Oh, thanks for having me. This has been a great discussion. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I hope you really enjoyed that wonderful, inspirational, motivational piece. Again, if you Wherever you are listening, if you liked it, be sure to like, comment, share, subscribe. We're on everywhere, Spotify, iTunes, Google, Amazon, Audible. And without much ado, be sure to thank this show's sponsors, and we'll see you next week.